Welcome to episode 137 of the Effect Podcast. Unity is strength. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And that was the most professional start we have ever done. <laughs> that was because I was kind of like lost my 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 way and I was thinking, what's coming next? Oh, what episode is it? Oh, what's the episode called? So, uh, professional... No, that was great. Professionalism through panic. That's what that was. 137 episodes and finally we do everything and we're not just talking about what Dave just said there listeners we're talking about the bit where we we press record on our individual recording devices <laughs> oh is that what you where, meant we, we wait 10 seconds of silence so we can use that for for noise reduction later on i'd like to point when we I'd clap like, five times so that we sync our tracks i'd like, uh, I'd like all to of that point out, went so smoothly well except for the fact that you only waited for nine seconds on my track anyway no <laughs> well, 10, 10 seconds on my track i think you must have clicked record a, a second too early Ah, never mind. I actually, you know what I did. So we're not quite as professional as we seem. Uh, anyway, because <laughs> yeah. uh, we seem we really have, professional. as usual, a packed program. Maybe not quite as packed as the last couple of episodes, well, but uh, still plenty to get through. Still quite packed. So, um, uh, yeah, so yeah, still quite packed. Still quite packed. <laughs> so let me tell you what's going on. So in the world of gaming, we've got really exciting news about the upcoming Alien Adventure. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, news about what I'm really excited about, Dave. You couldn't really give a toss about uh, troubleshooters, but it's very exciting for me. No, no, I think that's that's a bit harsh, actually. Um, <laughs> and we can talk about it properly, but that yeah, that's unfair. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll discuss troubleshooters in a bit. And we'll also discover, uh, or rather discuss, Coriolis which is uh, the game that we started with. Quite why it's in World of Gaming, we'll explain in a little <laughs> bit. We've also got two new patrons, and we'll, we'll say thank you to them after that. And we've also got some feedback. We've got feedback from Paul, Paul Venner, and uh, it's an, an interesting discussion point, and it will reflect a discussion we had many, many episodes ago, Dave, but, uh, but I think it's worth... Uh, having it again now yep. with, with Paul's input. And then we have an interview with Stu Goff, who I think is the first person who isn't Free League to publish a game based on the uh, Year Zero engine. And so we'll talk a bit about that mm. with him. First person, how far did has Matt got with his Forbidden Lands hack? Has that come out Well. Yet? I don't think it's published. No. I mean, I think there's playtest versions. Um, right. Uh, the, and there's his, he does have his little sort of mini, mini World Zero, uh, uh, mini Year Zero engine standalone leaflet-sized yeah. uh, version of the rules. I think that's published. But but no, this is a new setting and it's a yes. really intriguing one as well. It's hmm. called the Gaslight Club. But we'll come on to that in a bit. Yep. And then we've got another one of our factions in focus and that's the Free League. <laughs> the Free League in Coriolis, not the Free League in Stockholm, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, 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 yeah that sounds like there's a sort of faction between them and Helmgast. How you could start a faction war? Well, they, they uh, might, within uh, Free League, there are factions, you know, so there's Free League. And yeah, yeah. Yen Ringen, power struggles, and. Yeah, no, I'm, we I'm could joking. talk about those power struggles. Such, no, a, no, such no, as no. they are, <laughs> if there are any. <laughs> We're starting off with the world of gaming, yes. and Dave, you are starting off with uh, some exciting things that you've been doing these last couple of weeks. Yeah, so I've um, I've been really lucky to have had the chance to um, 
get involved with producing Destroyer of Worlds, the new upcoming cinematic scenario um, written by Andrew Gasker, which is now uh, the target date for release is August. Uh, I haven't heard anything to suggest otherwise. But um, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, Thomas asked me to uh, have a look at the look at the scenario, give it a fresh a fresh set of eyes because I think he and Drew had been working on it for such a long time. <laughs> you know, you get to the point where you can't see the wood for the trees. And obviously, I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but I was able to to offer some really good feedback and and write a little bit to um, uh, to, to to sort of flesh out some areas and put a few new ideas in. So I've spent quite a lot of the last two weeks working as part of the team to produce Destroyer of Worlds, and we are just about done. Still a few points that are being sort of... Uh, the coals are being raked over around, but... Um, what can you fit in the pages, is what you're trying to say. There is some of that, yeah. Although, um, I think on this occasion, the, the, the word pressure has felt less intense as it did than when we did Hope's Last Day. And I think that was because right. in Hope's Last Day, we had a very set 5,000 words to get into the space in the book. Whereas this one being a, a standalone thing itself, it's got a bit more flexibility. But obviously you can't just uh, you know, fill it with lines and lines of yeah. text. It's all got, you've still got to be tight and it's still got to be well, uh, well drafted. Um, and of course, the important thing from a publishing point of view is it has to have multiples of four pages. So, you know, you can't just go, oh, we're going to run over an extra half page. No, that doesn't work. No, exactly. Uh, so they've just started layout. So we are in um, in the process of getting it done. So I haven't had anything to suggest that August is looking unlikely. So, um, yeah, look out for it in August and um, hope, hope people enjoy it when it comes out. And without giving too many spoilers away, I have to admit that uh, we, we've been playtesting it as well, yeah. haven't we? Yes. So we've actually... Um, participated in the adventure. Um, you you pulled a team together, which included me. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> Although, if you hadn't included your co-host, mm, yes. So I mean, might not have been your co-host. It was it was actually a really difficult decision because there were so many people that actually I'd want to involve in it, but we had so little time, and it needed yeah. such a big commitment from the players because we were basically. We had to fit in the whole thing in less than two weeks, and it's it's quite intense and it's quite long. And it's hours and hours long. It's hours yes. and hours. I think it's... my wife has just about forgiven me. Yeah, but she seemed to be particularly happy when I said we'd finished. <laughs> yeah, last my night. my wife was the same as well. But uh, yeah. so yeah, I'm really pleased. Sorry for for anybody who would like to have been involved and didn't get involved. Um, uh, yeah, it's just uh, had deadlines to meet and. Um, so yeah, that's sadly the way it, the way it played out. But hopefully, we've made it a better game uh, yeah. uh, as part of the team and that feedback. And I know that the feedback we got from you guys has certainly been taken on board, and there have been a number of changes and tweaks made uh, in the light of uh, that player experience. So it's yeah, it should be a a it's going to be a good game. It's going to be really good. Yeah, um, Colonial, it is good. I really enjoy playing it. Colonial Marines. Um, it's not just about firing big guns, although there's quite a lot of big guns to fire. Um, yeah, I think it should have something for everybody. And uh, in terms of something for everybody, uh, let's have this discussion that you promised me about troubleshooters, because uh, hmm. I'm really interested in this game. I got the impression you weren't, well, particularly when you said only a couple of days ago, what is this game? And I said, well, I've been talking about it on the yeah. podcast for bloody weeks, Dave. You have told me 
more than once about the, the about the game, and that's fair. Um, it's it says more about my short term memory than anything else, frankly. So I, it, it's a role playing game that's basically role playing Tintin. Hershey's Adventures of Tintin, and I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, so I should have remembered. So I, <laughs> I, I love those books. I love Tintin. I love all of that. I think my concern is, as a role player, I'm not sure I want to role play it. Yeah, well, um, it's not just Tintin. I think it is of the Franco-Belgian um, band dessinée um, hardback comic album story. Yeah, well, I, I guess um, though. I would I would say that for the vast majority of people, they'll look at it and go Tintin. So I think that's, yeah, that's yeah. Where... Tintin, Tintin in the English-speaking world is going to be the one. Not, I think I guess not and many people not, know it... that genre beyond the Tintin books, unless they're a real yeah a real fan of it. Yeah, uh, and you know, even in in the sort of Euro comics thing, uh, I have a I've got a passion for Corto Maltese, and I feel there's a little bit of Corto Maltese in Troubleshooters as well, but yeah that's a very different thing i don't um, i don't know what corto maltese darker. is oh i'll show you some corto maltese albums at some point when okay. we get um but out of is that, out of lockdown is that a similar a similar sort of um style of comic is it largely um similar pushing pushing the bounds of similar it's it's got some of my favorite art um okay. in it i really love the artwork i'll um uh, I'll, I'll find some pictures on the internet and, and share stick them it on Discord, yeah. But anyway, the the reason why we're talking about troubleshooters is they delayed their Kickstarter. They're starting next week, and coincidentally, I am hoping to start streaming next week with my uh, friendly local gaming store group. The Quick Start Adventure that they uh, published when they first announced the game. So if you join our, uh, subscribe to our um, YouTube channel, you should see that happening from uh, next Wednesday onwards. Technical problems <laughs> notwithstanding. You mean your computer's shit? Uh, I mean my computer's <laughs> shit. My computer's very odd. So we've yeah. been running this entire podcast and everything else off uh, the computer I was given by my university when I started my PhD. I should have finished my PhD about two years ago. I am just finishing it now, but my computer <laughs> that's what you, has not been. That's what you said two years ago. That time. <laughs> uh, no, no, I didn't say that two years ago. Uh, two years ago, I was going, oh, holding my head in my hand, saying, I can't finish it. It's all crap. Um, and indeed, having a stroke over the matter. So, um, uh, th- no, this time, this time, it is actually very close to finishing. I've um, even written the introduction just finished that yesterday nice which um which of course is chapter one of any phd but it normally gets written once Last. you've written everything else yeah. so um so that's happening well, I, I now I, have to rewrite the conclusion but i look I'm forward to there. the day that i can call you dr jones so yes troubleshooters uh, look out for that on kickstarter it features on its front cover a red 2cv and that's the reason i'm buying the game nothing else <laughs> so um you ha- you have a PDF of it, do you then? A, a beta or something? Uh, they're, they're, so there's, they've got on there. If you go to the Helmgast website, we'll put a link in the show notes. They've got uh, a page about the game, which also includes a quick start adventure, right. which I think you know has been play tested. It's had feedback. I have no idea. I haven't quite grokked the rules in my own head yet. Yeah, my next my next question was going to be, what's the what's the system like? 
I want to reserve judgment on that. Okay. Um, in, in, is it a dice pool or a D20 or BRP or? It's a kind D100. Yeah. Um, I'm not convinced. I haven't entirely been persuaded that the system's great like I was when you first recommended Coriolis to me. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. It might need a playthrough. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's being adjusted uh, even as we speak. There's a second quick start adventure going to be coming soon cool. they say and then it's all downloadable with pre-gen characters um so uh so yeah people have a look at that see if they're interested yeah i'll have a look at uh, it i'm also yeah i'll have a look I'm at also it trying up. to arrange i don't know whether i've had any replies yet from uh Helmgast, but cool. yeah i if we can arrange an interview with them for the next episode that'll be good without making any promises we'll uh, we'll we'll interview them yeah well you know it's good timing so we can give them a little bit of uh, a bit of a nudge to our listeners to see if they get them interested to go and have a look at the game because i'm certainly going to have a look at it on on kickstarter um i probably won't back it unless something there particularly grabs me but uh, interested enough to have a look at least jolly good cool. that's all we can say and there's something else happening uh, on our youtube channel so Lockdown has actually turned our YouTube channel into a thing. <laughs> I mean, we'd been experimenting with putting the podcast on there so that we could take advantage of their translation, free, um, yeah, uh, 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 transcription. We haven't done that with our most recent episodes of the podcast because I've changed podcast suppliers to one that should be doing that automatically, but their API with Google's broken at the moment. So uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that's going to get fixed soon. Um, but what we have done in lockdown, of course, is do lots of online gaming. And it's been generally so easy just to play, press the button that says stream on YouTube <laughs> that we've been streaming those episodes. Yeah. So, uh, listeners, you may have seen our Coriolis adventure that you uh, and Tony and I are having. Yep. And also, I've been playing some Morkborg with my um, friendly local gaming <laughs> store group. Boy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you saw it. Yeah, <laughs> um, although I, I'm hearing, I'm hearing uh, the creators of Merc Boy uh, <laughs> calling it Morky Borgy. Yeah, so, um, well, I, I can't get away with without pronouncing Merc properly because that's my my wife's name. That is your wife's name. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so I can't I can't get away with that one. Uh, so we've been playing Merc Boy quite a lot, and uh, and we're moving on, as I said, to troubleshooters. But I just, just want to talk about the Coriolis campaign, mm. which we thought we're in lockdown. Our usual campaign can't happen. Andy can't join us. And we started Emissary Lost. Frankly, I got fed up with waiting to start it. So yeah. um, I thought, let's just roll up new characters and, and go do for it. that. Yep. And we've been enjoying it. I mean, particularly, I thought it would be great if you two created a sort of pair of private detectives and we do it in a sort of noirish style in the first few episodes mm -hmm. and it's gone quite well hasn't it yeah it's been great i've really enjoyed it it's uh it's quite good doing it in short short and sweet um bursts sort of hour and a half two hours is is actually really good because certainly when i'm running things anything much longer than that starts to burn a hole in my head no, it's been great. Online, in online, yeah, um, yeah. Face to face, it's a lot easier. Around the table, it's very different, but online, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it, it's a different experience as a GM. And I, yeah, no, I've really enjoyed it. It's been, it's been, um, say that you know, silver lining for me out of all this lockdown bullshit has been reawakening my uh, my interest and my my joy actually in in role playing online 
because I said mm. before, tried it before, didn't really like it so much. Um, was a bit reluctant, but having done it, um, it's great. So I'm, I'm pleased, yeah. We haven't been doing that for the last couple of weeks. Uh, we Two or three weeks ago, we struggled to stream and we put, we recorded an episode instead and put it online. Um, then, of course, uh, well, you've been busy with that, that project, which you've already mentioned. Yeah. Uh, but also, um, my crappy old computer now kind of refuses to... Uh, to run anything um, at all difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I've got a new computer on order. Um, I haven't quite saved up enough money for it, but I'm hoping the credit card's going to <laughs> massage the blow a bit. Hashtag um, about time too. <laughs> <laughs> and so we'll be do- we'll be uh, kicking that off um, uh, again. Well, not kicking it off, but c- carrying it on shortly. But Dave, there is a point where we might need more characters yeah. than just the two of you. I've really enjoyed it. I can't say it often enough. I've absolutely enjoyed the sort of noirish that we've been doing in these early episodes. But at some point, the guns are going to come out. And I've just noticed that, you know, you guys aren't particularly gun bunnies. We're not great. No, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at self-defense in combat, but not at, not actually hitting things. Um, no, and th- and this and this ties in quite nicely to something else that we've been talking about, um, which has been um, you know wanting to do more online gaming, having had our little COVID convention over just before Easter with all of our patrons and making commitments there, uh, you know, and commitments you know offers you know, commitments suggests it sounds like a burden, but it's not um, to run more stuff. For, for our patrons and with our patrons because they're you know they're great guys so they're friends so it's it's fun to play with them. Um, one of the problems that I've been struggling with because uh, I did commit to running a um, Tales from the Flood game is, mm-hmm. is things from the flood yes it, things from the flood yeah is disappointing people because I I know of at least two people who've messaged me directly to say oh I'd love to play please. And I know lots of people who've sort of openly said, oh, I want to play, and not everybody will be able to play. So I can't run it mm. for 10 people. Um, so choosing or deciding who gets to play is, going to be, is, a, is a real problem. But I don't want that to be an obstacle. You know, I don't want to get sort of caught in a, uh, a, you know, a frozen in um, indecision, and so we don't do anything. So we, you know, we need to try and move it on. But your suggestion around Coriolis, where maybe we should be... Um, bringing in guest players for um, yeah uh, for some of these games who come in and do a couple of scenarios and then somebody else can come in and have a game so we 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 spread the love amongst those people our patrons who want to join us without making a commitment that they've got to join us every week but also um, making sure that lots of people get a chance to to join in some of the games. Yeah, I think that's a so great what idea. we're thinking about doing is uh, sort of doing an open casting, as it were, to all our patrons. Patron exclusive, I think this will be. Maybe yeah. I'll even add it to the patron page. And I, the idea I've had is that uh, as I see things are going to come up that might need a, a different skill set or more characters of a particular sort to say almost a little bit like um, you guys are, uh, are recruiting from your contacts. And I'd say I was going to suggest that we uh, we ask all of any patron that's interested to um, to create a character according to whatever the needs are, which I'll put up. 
and um, then I'll choose the best characters and players uh, to join you for, uh, I think, probably two or three weekly sessions. It'll be UK-based time, but relatively late in the day. That might uh, that might be an issue for some people, but um, yeah, we'll we, see what we can do. We might need to we, run some on a Sunday, maybe, if that's going to be easier for our American friends. Yeah, we can Possibly. we can we can explore that. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll see how many people are interested. Uh, I think with some provisos that when you die, you die. We don't invite you back again. Well, not not until somebody and, or at least, not until somebody else has had a turn. Not until everybody else has yeah. had a turn who wants to have a turn. Yeah. And then uh, and then it may be that you know at the end of a particular chapter or whatever, those characters fade into the background, and we bring some other characters along so that everybody gets a time. You, yours and Tony's characters will be core. I think, but um, but everybody else will come in like reoccurring guest stars or mm. or just uh, for one episode guest stars on a TV show. Yeah. Um. So that's that's our plan. Um. We'll think, talk yeah. about it in COVID Cafe tonight with the patrons. Yeah, I think um, I think it's a great so, idea. I I hope um, I hope our patrons like it. I I think I I will still intend to do to do my things from the flood for those people who've um have registered a, a an interest in that. So. Uh, because I'm quite keen to run that as well. I just now need to find the time to actually prepare a scenario, and it's been because of yes. it's been because of Destroyer of Worlds because has taken up Worlds, so much yeah. of my time these last couple of weeks. So apologies to my uh, to people who are waiting for me to get things from the flood game going. But um, now that's pretty much done, I can start focusing on other stuff, which is great. Uh, I was going to oh yes. So if people are interested who aren't patrons at the moment, we'll make this available to all our patrons from the lowest level, the two dollar level. Yeah. So um, if you if you want to have a turn, then join us as a patron and um, and uh, and then submit your characters. Yeah. I'm I'm also hoping I'm also hoping that with our patrons we can encourage, um, you know, some of them to be doing something similar, maybe. So if uh, you know if Phil wants to run a Simba Room game and maybe have a couple of core players and then let others rotate through, or Andy or, or you know anybody wants to run anything, yeah. let's do it because the more let's let's, let's get let's get as many games out there to the point where we run out of players who want to play them. <laughs> if, yes. if we get to that so point, the, our original um, concept in setting up the Patreon itself was to just grow the community. Yeah, I mean obviously. Um, you know, it's great that the community help us pay our hosting fees and all that sort of stuff. But actually, our purpose with this podcast is to grow the community around um, freely games in particular, but just just actually role playing as well. as well. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, yeah, so uh, so that's our plan. So that all sounds very good. But talking of patrons, yes. we've got two more patrons that have joined us in the last month we that do. we should give a shout out to. Go on then. I was going to say one of them actually already does or isn't currently playing with us because he doesn't play online. But one of them is actually Andy, who has been a star of many of our actual plays. So yeah. Andy, thank you very much for joining us as a patron. Yeah, good to um, you really shouldn't, but uh, I'm not going to turn it down. Yeah, you, yeah. Um, Matt doesn't. Matt doesn't mean that as in you shouldn't because we don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't, but you know you've, you've done it now. Um, yeah, yeah. Andy. Andy contributes to the podcast with his talents as a as a voice actor uh, <laughs> and a role say actor and a role advisory. player <laughs> as a role yes. player, shall we say? Um, and a very loud voice, especially when you laugh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, but uh, yes, so that's how he contributes. So you shouldn't need to be paying us money as well. But uh, you know, I'm not going to turn it down. No, that's fine. Yes, and the other the other new patron is a very old friend of mine, Jamie, 
who a few years ago um, moved with his lovely wife to uh, live in her homeland of Romania, where he, he still lives. Generally known, certainly by those who know him well, as that twat, Jamie. But yeah, so uh, brilliant that he's come on board. It's uh, it's it's a great opportunity to actually spend a bit more time chatting to him because uh, being being in different countries, you know, it's very easy yeah. to lose lose a bit of contact. So brilliant, yeah. Thanks, Jamie, for that. Um, I know you're rolling in money, so you know I, I think it's about time that you, <laughs> you you joined us, and you should probably pay double, frankly. <laughs> Um, and he um, he's starting a podcast of his own, and it's all about Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. What's it called? As well. uh, I don't know. I might put a link into the show. Yeah, notes. let's put a link into the show notes. The last thing you know, the foot, we should always support other podcasters, and especially saying yeah, he's not yeah. competing with us. So that's fine. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, and yeah. and it appears obviously from his um, initial downloads that there's much more interest out there in Bitcoin than there is in free league role playing games. Oh, really? In the community. Well, I think he said his first his first one got two and a half thousand downloads. Whoa! So, but I think there are people who are thinking they're going to get rich quick on Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, and you're wow, not, you're not going to get rich quick on role playing games. No. Well, you no. will. You'll, wow, you'll, you'll you'll get two and a half thousand in your first episode. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. It makes me want to give up now. (laughs) No, well, we get rich quick in the uh, by bathing in the warm glow of the culture and the game and the imagination. We're we're richer than just pure cash. Yeah, I've got to say, actually, you know, this uh, this period of lockdown has shown me how rich we are in the community we built around the podcast. There's been some wonderful people and wonderful games played. Yes. Anyway. Let's move on. Yes. Um, again, the community includes people who write to us. Occasionally, yeah. And we have got an email from somebody who's obviously been listening, I think, to our Coriolis Actual Plays as well as to the programme. Yep. And um, do you want to read it out or shall I? Uh, well, we've heard enough of your voice for now, so I'll read it, shall I? Mm. Yeah, I thought so. Okay, this comes from a friend of the show, Paul Venner. Um, it was yeah sent it about a month ago now, so we are uh, over late in responding, but we get there in the end. And he says, um, and I'll read the whole things out. I've heard a few times you stating that you do not like to hoard the darkness points and cap the number you have. In doing this, how do you run creatures of darkness? These creatures all require darkness points to use any of their abilities, and with such a low number of darkness points, such an encounter would be a little easy. So that's the question. Here is my reasoning, that there should be no cap on darkness points, and I hoard them often for big fights. My highest amount is 35. That's quite a lot. I've never had that many. Mm-hmm. I have slightly changed what I, use them, uh, what I use them for. I only use them for the following. To power darkness abilities of creatures, one to three darkness points depending on the ability. To parry in melee, one darkness point. This in itself uses up a lot of darkness points. Twice in a year long campaign to make players miss uh, so a big bad could run off. Three darkness points. To make some bad stuff happen in the background, normally three darkness points. When I do this, I make it obvious that I'm picking up the darkness points and putting them back in the bag. Uh, this is a FTF... Face-to-face game. This A face-to-face game really ramps up the tension as the players are wondering what might be happening. These darkness points are basically me paying to fuck over the players. I don't have to do this as it's just the plot of the scenario I'm running or whatever, but I do like the tension paying for it creates. We've just finished the first part of Mercy of the Icons, and I used 30 darkness points in the last two fights. Players came through it all pretty unscathed, but 
having pretty en- scathed. Pretty, oh yeah, pretty scathed, but having enjoyed it. Cheers, Paul. Yeah, right. So where do we start with that lot? Uh, well, we start at the beginning. How do we power? How do we run Creatures of Darkness? Well, to be honest, we haven't run Creatures of Darkness very much at all. So we haven't had that had to call on that pool of darkness points no. to power their powers. So in, in in the first actual play we ran, we had the Hounds of Tindalos. There were the the crew in um, the other game. But uh, what, what have you done in your campaigns? Have you run Creatures of Darkness? I have. I've run a fair few. And I'll hold my hands up. I have never relied upon a darkness point economy for them. So I, mm. I, and I get that it goes against the, the the suggestions in the rules. But so I, I, I think there's a thing here as a GM. If I want a, a creature of darkness to do something that's narratively right and is building the tension and it's going to enhance the game for the players. I'm not going to not do it because I've got no darkness points in my pool. So I think as a, as a GM, I will decide when that happens. Now, sometimes if I've got overly, you know, far too many darkness points and I'm thinking I really ought to just cull some of these, I might just spend a couple anyway for that situation. But routinely, no, I'm not going, it's going to do action A, that costs three darkness points to pay, it's going to do action B that costs one darkness point pay. So I don't do any of that. So I don't, yeah, I can't, I, I don't manage my economy of darkness points in that, in that way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, obviously I think, well, also I think my attitudes changed because I'm looking at the pool of darkness points I currently have. And I have in the game that you are playing in nine darkness points right now. And I seem to remember I you know, I was saying all the way through um through but, Song to the Siren yeah. that we were you know, I was gonna, you know, cap it at five and as soon as I had five I'd spend some on mm. something. And that worked quite well, but again, there were only those creatures the only creatures of darkness were the crew and in fact they were what I did with those is I pulled back their deadliness when I realised just how I'd slightly, um, um, because you guys weren't armed, how they were somewhat OP for the encounter. We were in trouble. So, um, (laughs) And I honestly can't remember whether I spent darkness points on their one attack or not, but um, I think I probably did. Mm. I definitely did in the Hounds of Tinderloss adventure. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we can't complain the darkness point economy is wrong if we don't spend the darkness points in the way they were intended. For example, on that sort of... No, um, that's entirely fair. I, I don't think I ever have complained that the darkness economy is wrong. For me, anyway. Um, I've, I've found it has, has worked quite well. I've, I've often managed my economy by doing stuff that is atmospheric or colourful or adds an interesting um, but uh, sort of mechanically unimportant aspect to... To the to the to the story, things like in the Spectral Corsair campaign, having mm. the ship that's possessed, having the ship do stuff that isn't actively yeah. going against the players, but basically just screws the things up for them a little bit or adds a bit of color. For example, them deciding that someone who'd tried to invade their ship that they were going to kill, who's who's locked in an airlock, they decide that he's going to survive. They're going to let him live. Now, a couple of darkness points, the ship has actually said, no, you know, this guy's attacked me and then opens the airlock of its own, of its own, of its own will. 
things like that which don't really matter too much but add a nice bit of colour and the players reflected that those kind of things really added to the flavour of the game. The problem with that is thinking of things that are original and interesting as you're going along is actually quite difficult, I found. Um, mm-hmm. So finding things that fit nicely is an occasional thing rather than a common thing, I guess. Yeah, um, uh, and, and again, I think the, what, the point that Paul makes of you know, visibly spending the darkest points when you do that thing adds a certain tension yeah. to um, what might otherwise appear atmospheric um, you know, players might be going oh you know well that's something we should take note of what else is going so I on do think, yeah you know that that spending a darkness point to that is is a good idea now again you guys haven't done much fighting although you were involved in melee this time and so spending a darkness points for people to parry in melee isn't a thing that i've done much of and maybe i should mm-hmm. with your more fisty well um the one time I was prepared for fisticuffs, you pulled your guns early. <laughs> um, and the one time you guys got involved in fisticuffs, I wasn't quite prepared for it. So I wasn't <laughs> necessarily thinking straight in, um, in the most recent campaign. So, but yes, I think, I think actually doing parries in melee is an important thing to spend dance points on sometimes. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think there's, is there a, a kind of um, point of principle as a GM, either... You go full bore, you follow the darkness point economy to the letter, or actually you just manage your darkness points kind of on an ad hoc as the G you know, you, you, you as a GM have a sense of how few or how, how many darkness points you ought to be hoarding for any, any situation and you then just manage your, your pull that way. Spend the points when you feel you need to, but not when the rules tell you you must. Yeah, and obviously Paul, I yeah. think Paul is going for the follow the rules, which is you know well, I entirely, think he's, got, he's gone reasonable. for an adaptation of the rules. Yeah. He's got his own system, which uh, uh, I think is you know has come. You know, it's, it's been a, a, an adaptation of what works for him and his party. I guess. Yeah, I think I think also. I mean, it's noticing the fact that his highest amount of darkness points at any one time was thirty five, which is a lot. That what, what does that say? That that says his players don't feel there's any downside to praying to the icons because they're obviously doing it a lot. So, mm. um, is there something about making them feel the pain of those darkness points a bit more, a bit more directly? You know, a bit more, uh, you know, specifically. Or maybe yeah. maybe it's just that they've been Paul's put them in situations where they've had no option but to pray to the icons that much um to get them through it so it might be a, a comment on how how tricky and how tense and how challenging the the, the scenes that the Paul... encounter was yeah, yeah yeah 35 uh seems like a lot but i can understand kind of you know in that big fight uh that i did where i was determined to spend all my darkness points and as i spent them you prayed more yeah 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 <laughs> give me more uh, the ants just that, kept going up on that one yeah just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, would I would I spend three to make you miss the big bad? I don't know. I don't know whether any I ever feel that my big bads, you know, I I've grown accustomed to the fact that if you present your big bad to a leading adventure, the players will definitely kill them. <laughs> and yeah. So, yeah. If so you I, don't, mm. if you want them to survive, don't show them to the players. Is is kind of what I've learned. So to I do I, I think I think there's a thing here actually. So it all depends on how how you do it. 
So I, what you, for me as a GM, what I think you really need to avoid is you realize your big bad is about to go down. You say, here are three darkness points and, you know, he, he finds a gap in the floor that he jumps through and he's gone or whatever. What you mm. could do is say, here's three darkness points and that door at the back, which was closed, it's suddenly open and five more men have come through. And so actually, yeah, that's what I do. Generally. That's what, that's what yeah. you did to us um, mm. here with Yaffa at some point. And that's great because immediately the players then reassess their chances of winning the fight. And, uh, you know, if, if you've done it right, they then run. And that allows you to save your big bad yeah. without it being totally obvious that you've just said, here's three points, he's okay. So yes. I think there's a way of managing I still it. want to, at some point, do three darkness points and click, 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 you've run out of ammo. Um, and I don't think I've done that yet. Yeah. No, I, do that I get that. I think this is one of my problems with darkness points um uh, in 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 general is that doing that is just so blatantly the gm saying to the player fuck you i'm not letting you do that and <laughs> but i and that's I, what paul says we can do <laughs> i know i know and i think a lot of gms probably do that and i guess it works for for for, for those gms i just don't like doing that because i don't like feeling like i've i've had to sort of cheat the players out of something that they've earned or you know, mm. worked hard to earn on the basis of, oh no, I didn't really want you to get that after all. So here's a few darkness points and I'm not going to let you have it. So I don't like that. So I think if you want to do that, spend your darkness points, but find a way narratively in the game that makes sense rather than just saying, oh, that's the moment you run out of ammo. Because <laughs> I think that is just, well, a, that's one just day, too blatant. One day, Dave, you will run out of ammo. <laughs> yeah, I, and, I'm, and I'm waiting for it and I'm going to, I'm going to, pout and grumble you know about yeah. about what i have done in the past about some of your use of darkness points um about <laughs> about which points about the grenade explosion about which had. we've disagreed uh, at length uh, previous times Before. but um let us move on then. Uh, thank you very much paul <laughs> yeah, for that you. feedback and if anybody wants uh to send an email uh, to argue with us about anything we say then go ahead uh, do that at feedback at effect podcast effect with a k of course yep. dot org and would be grateful and happy to receive your emails yeah and um, yeah we'd, we'd love to have uh, stuff like this to talk over on the podcast so yeah please send it in yeah it, it, it means that we don't have to start writing content and stuff <laughs> however what is next on our podcast i believe we are talking with Stu Goff. i think we are now very sadly i had to pull out of this interview at the last moment because it was right in the 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 right in the heat of destroy of worlds and i had some exceedingly tight deadlines that i was i was uh, well about to miss so sadly i had to do that instead of talk to Stu. but um you had a really good chat with him didn't you matthew Yes, I did. And I'm realising that this episode will be the Matthew show, but um, never mind. <laughs> That's your dream, isn't it? You've just been, you know, when we started all yeah. this, you said we could do a podcast called the Matthew show. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> and one I, day, I, one I... day, my dream will be realised. Uh, but uh, uh, if you shut up for a moment, Dave, <laughs> let's hear me talk. So uh, we're here virtually, of course, in these COVID times with Stu Goff, who we last met, well, I was going to say we last met in happier times almost a year ago at UK Games Expo, which we, we recorded an interview then, which is in mm -hmm. an episode I'll point to 
in the show notes. Uh, but actually, we last met at Dragon Meet, and I bought a copy of your existing game, Aegean. Well, the starter, the starter, the quick start book, as you know what it is. Yeah. Now, have we got, have we got a follow-up? Have we got a massive 400-page um, core <laughs> book coming? Uh, I mean, something like that is planned. Um, so the quick start rules cover getting started with the game, downtime, a bit of setting information, and has an adventure in the back. Uh, I've since released Aegean Adventures, which has mm -hmm. five adventures for the game. So you've got probably close to 20 sessions of pre-done material. But what it's missing is character generation. That's probably the big thing. Uh, and I have a huge plan for a city management kind of part of the game. So as well as being adventuring heroes in Greek myth, you also you get a say in what your city is doing and you get to push it into different directions. So that's all play tested, uh, but I still haven't, I haven't written it up. So the chapter, it, it's very much a one page summary and uh, not properly written yet. That will be in the core book. And I think that's the, the exciting thing for the core book. Cool. Dave, Dave will be cursing himself that he's not at this interview because he is a Roman a historian. He's not a Roman. Uh, I think he might like to think he's one, but he's a Roman historian. And um, uh, we once played many years ago a role-playing game he'd started creating of uh, Roman adventure, which was, of course, adventuring on one side, mm. but also the civic side of things. Right. Yeah. I had slightly miscreated a character, not realising that was the object of the game. So I was a lowly slave, and all I ever got to do was cart messages about here and there, while uh, the senator went off to the Senate and started mm. doing things. Uh, I think he's, well, this brings us into the main topic of conversation, which is that he's just produced a very, very first draft mm. of a Year Zero engine-based Roman game, which I think is his revival of what oh, he tried right. to do back then when we were, I don't know, 20 or something. Mm. That'd be interesting so, to see um, that, yeah, see what he does with that. It would be very interesting for him to look at a gin and nick all your best ideas. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I've been meaning to look at a gin. Uh, it's at the very top of my next thing to read pile. But somehow, something else always goes in on the top of, yeah. the top of it, just before I get to it. have the what, same what problem. What sort of system is Aegean? So Aegean is, it's a D10 dice pool based system. Uh, it's stat plus skill. It's not that far removed from the Year Zero engine or something like uh, the World of Darkness. Mm -hmm. um, so it's similar to that with uh, sort of different careers available. Um, the careers will also tie into the, uh, the city management system. So you, you may be able to start with any career, soldier, whatever, but you can't necessarily buy the career later on unless, you're, unless you make sort of push your city in that direction. So, you know, you, so you need more soldiers or whatever. Yeah, or you need the training facilities to, for, to train so that you can become a soldier. And the same with uh, um, a scholar, you need uh, a good library and things like that. Um, so career advancement is mostly skill-based with some talents and special abilities. Right. And um, when you release that, when did you release that, actually? Because I picked it up off you at Dragon Meet, but I think you were touting it around at UKG as well. Yeah. So uh, first print was, first, my print runs are very, very small, but yeah, first print run was uh, for UKG last year. Um, and it, uh, in fact, I timed the release for that. And that was a kind of uh, getting my feet wet, getting ready for it. And then... 
actually sold most of like my print run was 30, but I, I sold most of those copies. They're, they've gone apart from a couple. Uh, and I've got a second print run, which is what was then available for Dragon Meat. So it's, yeah, again, very small scale, but it's a start. It's, uh, yeah, getting now, like I say, getting How did you fund that? Because the, what we're going to talk about, the Gaslight Club, was funded on Kickstarter. Did you, did you do a Kickstarter for Aegean as well? No, I didn't. Uh, so I'm a freelance programmer, and mm -hmm. I basically put a load of money aside from, uh, from the day job. To, to fund artwork and printing costs, initial printing costs. Um, cover art was probably the most expensive, expensive thing there. Um, my intention, obviously, it's all a bit crazy at the moment and who knows what will happen, but my intention is to do a Kickstarter. It was going to be time for UKG this year, <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm not sure what I'm gonna do with that. But the intention is a Kickstarter for a full, full core rules. Well, Let's get onto the meat of this interview then, because um, you told us last year at UKGE that you were working on something that was a little bit based on Westworld. Mm -hmm. And so it is, but yes. uh, it's also got a heavy, heavy dose of The Great Gatsby in it. And oh, yeah. um, uh, uh, of course, Bugsy Malone and everything American and 20s <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, yeah. So... Uh, and tell us a bit about the Gaslight Club. So the Gaslight Club, uh, so I, I initially ran it using uh, basically Mutant Gear Zero with a few tweaks. Um, and that was, it was around about this time last year or the end of the year before. Um, and we did something like 15, 16 sessions. So it was a good like, medium-sized campaign. Uh, went very well, and I'd always intended to write it up and do something with it. Only it kind of sat and sat by the side, and nothing happened with it. And uh, I kind of semi forgot about it. Um, but then I heard about ZineQuest, mm -hmm. and I was again very. I, I don't know how it passed me by, but it was something like the first Sunday of February when ZineQuest had already started that I heard about it, and I thought. What can, this, sounds, this sounds like a you know, great opportunity to get some promotion for a Kickstarter. Um, what can I do? What can I release? And I kind of went through all of my old stuff, all sort of various notes and things that I've got lying around. I went, I could do that. That, mm. that would be perfect. So, because it, you know, it was mostly written up. It just had a few, few bits left to, to sort of, you know, it was mostly written up and play tested. That was the important thing. Um, so it was just, in theory, it was just a matter of like cleaning it up, getting it ready and, uh, and releasing it. So went ahead with the Kickstarter, uh, made 600 and, 670 quid, which was more than I was expecting. And I had a couple of stretch goals lined up and we passed the stretch goals. So <laughs> yeah, so I was, it was very pleased with that. Very pleased with how it went. It's very much a, a roller coaster kind of thing though. It's like, like, got addicted to every morning right check the status it says on the yeah yeah and i had one one day where someone had uh, they'd funded it they were in the u.s they'd uh yeah backed it at around 2 a.m like local time and that that put me over the over the the, the marker and woke up going ah I've, I've done it i've succeeded and checked it and they three hours later they'd cancelled their they pledge so it'd gone but, 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 I'm not there. Yeah, it says I've done it. But yeah, so it, it was very much a roller coaster. But it was it was interesting actually. Yeah, it's very interesting sort of uh, going through the process. And I kind of wanted to do it as a 
as a sort of a warm-up for a GN and other things in the future. Brilliant. So as you said, you based this on Mutant Year Zero. You, did you effectively run it um, without giving too much of the plot away? Uh, uh, did you effectively run it as a sort of post-apocalyptic version in your first run? Did people so, know they were playing Mutant Year Zero? No. Had you told your players we're all in the 20s? No, I told them they were all in the 20s. So these are people I know very well. I wouldn't do that with any... Yeah, I, if you know the group, I think it's, it can be a good risk, but you do have to know them well. So I told them they were in the 20s uh, and it would all be focused around the Gaslight Club, the, the, one, mm -hmm. the one place in the city, that, the important place in the city. Uh, and they pretty much tweaked it by the first session. <laughs> so, yeah, end of the first session, there was sort of some whispers and um, yeah, second session, it was, yeah, I told you it was going to be that. So they, they knew it was Westworld by, by the second, second session. Oh, well, they told me they knew by the second session, they probably had a, had a good <laughs> idea by the end of the first. <laughs> so um, it's, uh, it is effectively a year zero engine game. You've got mm -hmm. four stats. You've got a bunch of skills. You roll a number of D6s equal to your stat plus your skill. Probably some bonuses in there as well. Uh, I quite like some of the bonuses. And um, you get a, six, get a six, you succeed. So it's, you know, it's reading it through. You go, yeah, I know this. This is, this is year zero. Of course, something else that happened a little bit before your Kickstarter, I think, was that... Um, uh, Free League actually released Year Zero as an OGL, um, you know, free to use yeah. system, which I have to remind everybody was my idea. <laughs> uh, back on the sponsoring, I think, uh, Forbidden Lands, yeah. I said, Why don't you do this as a stretch goal? And they thought it was a good idea, and it happened. Now, you haven't actually got any of the OGL text in your zine. Can I ask why you made that decision? So a lot of the text was already written before the OGL was available. Um, and I had a short window to rewrite and I didn't want to rewrite too much. Mm -hmm. So that was part of the reason. Uh, there are some changes. The changes are minor. Um, in fact, if you kind of glance through it, they're probably initiative. The way initiative handled is handled is different. Um, yeah. So most... in initiative, you add your wits and your yes yeah. and... And then for a D6, so yeah. you're looking at something over 10 generally for initiative. Yeah, rather than having, uh, is it cards in? Yeah, it's cards in some games, it's dice in other games. So Coriolis yeah. is just a roll of the D6. But, uh, I yeah. yeah, I prefer the roll of a D6 to like, have a, if you're going to make a game with cards, make a game with cards, but not have a one mechanic which just requires a deck of cards. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, so there, there were reasons why, uh, so because it had already been done before the OGL was available, I didn't really want to rewrite anything. I think the other main uh, difference is, so actually it's a bit more like Mutant Year Zero now than the version that I ran. So I'd handled talent slightly differently, uh, more like, uh, if you played Genesis, uh, sorry, did Genesis, did you say? Uh, Genesis, the, uh, the Fancy Flight. Oh, the Fancy Flight, yeah. Yeah, so it, I initially had like a... Uh, rather sort than of skill having, tree of talents. Yeah, so I initially sort of had that, and there were sort of uh, some notes on how to make talents as opposed to giving you a list of available talents. Um, so that got throughout, thrown out because 
It, you wanted to get it into zine format. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they like having to write all of that was uh, yeah was way too much. So that got stripped out, uh, and has now become more like the zero engine, year zero engine. Um, stress is handled slightly differently. But again, stress and pushing your role. Uh, again, that's something which is frequently different in all of the games. I think. Yeah, so I think that's that's kind of the differentiator. It's, uh, it's it's how you push your dice. Seems to me to be the thing that most reflects the genre you're playing in. Yeah, yeah. So, so your stress dice, for example, I think probably the most popular game now and possibly the one that more uh, Freely fans know more than anything else is Alien. Yeah. Uh, that's got stress dice in it. Now, in that game, you when you choose to re-roll, you pick up a stress dice, which you keep with you all your time. There's other ways of getting stress as well. Now you 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 call it stress, but it's a different thing, isn't it? In that you yeah. get stress points when so, you get ones on your reroll. Yeah, so which is a bit more like mutant itself. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of loosely basing it on the uh, the way stress works in Blades in the Dark. So I'd kind of I'd pulled in from a few other different things, not just. Mm -hmm. Year zero, but that's sort of that's lessened for the zine more than anything. Um, but for the push push mechanics, you uh, you have a certain amount of stress, or well, you have resolve, and you take take stress whenever you roll ones uh, when you push a roll. When your stress goes over over your resolve, you have to tick a tick a skill effectively. So you you've got a uh, a trauma, uh, and there's a trauma for each of your wits and empathy based skills. Mm. And once you tick those, uh, you, you get a penalty to that, just specifically to that skill. And it also, because you are actually secretly androids in Westworld, it also unlocks a whole new set of uh, talents which aren't available before. So you suddenly become aware of uh, the, your Backstage, difference. as it were. Yeah, yeah. You, you start seeing the differences between some of the people um, and... Uh, Eventually, you can you can sort of unlock more things like clairvoyancy, like being able to actually uh, communicate telepathically with the people who are just like you. Not everyone, obviously, because there are still guests coming in and uh, messing the place up. But you you get to you can communicate with them or control them, and yeah. So there's once you're stressed, you sort of you you become a, more aware of who you are and what's going on and why some of these things start feeling really really familiar to you. Yeah, it sounds brilliant, actually. It, it, it's like, like Mutant, again, where your mutant points that you earn on, or my turn on reroll, um, uh, are dangerous. They'll kill you in the end, but also they give you new powers. Um, yeah. So I can see how uh, that's quite strongly from that. And, um, and it sounds like a great game to play. Do you think it's a, a definitely a sort of, campaign game it's got to have a number of sessions or do you think you could do a one-off with it i think i think it probably works better with a campaign where you've got a bit of uh repetition like enforce it so as the gm if you repeat scenes but with different different guests coming and visiting it kind of enforces that uh that theme park kind of idea you know you get yeah. to relive some of the repetition of your of your life uh, and see different different guests playing out the same scenarios in different ways. So I think that kind of, that is improved by a, a short campaign at least, like three or four sessions maybe. I think you could do it as a one shot, but I think you'd be, 
you'd be striving to to get to that kind of uh, yeah some kind of realization of what you are very quickly and i think that may not work quite as well but i mean yeah each to their own yeah um now i didn't um i was a skinflint i'm afraid so i just got your pdf uh, level on the kickstarter um if i'd backed at the physical level which i almost went for the big kablooey the top version towards the end of the campaigns i thought oh he's still not quite there maybe i'll just up my bit but then somebody i think probably our patreon uh phil um yeah. took the last slot and uh i thought oh well thank god i don't have to do that anymore <laughs> it. um what would i have got for a physical um pledge so you would have got i'm going to show this and no one's going to be able to see it but nobody's going to see got, it because yeah, yeah we're on video but <laughs> <laughs> would have got the zine, which is, comes in at 40 pages. Uh, color nice on the glossy outside. cover, full cover. Yeah, glossy on the outside. And I don't know if you've got to see it, actually. It's a, it's a cream. Oh, a nice yeah. cream paper. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm getting, um, yeah, getting Star Wars. Yeah. So it's a nice cream paper rather than a white, which I really like. It really came out very well. Uh, so you would get that. You would get a A3 glossy map of the Gaslight Club, which has these are sort of secret areas marked. And my absolute favorite bit, which worked, which came out so much better than I, I expected was the character sheet, which... Oh, your lovely character. Yeah. These are great in PDF as well, because you can oh, see that's, how that's you good. fold them into a yeah. sort of table talker, as they might be called. Yes, that's it. This, this is your invite to the Gaslight yeah. Club. Name on the front, notes on the back, all in color, and then it opens up and you've got... so personal information there for your character and inside it's the stuff you're going to use most. So it's stats and skills, uh, health, trauma and, uh, and talents as well, space to list your talents. So yeah, I was really pleased with the way that sort of folds out and it just looks like I don't know, a restaurant menu or uh, yeah, or an invite to something. So yeah, I was very pleased with those. And that's what you'd get. Um, and so physical backers got what five or six of those, did they? Five of those, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So a nice bundle. Yeah. And um, if people want to get it now, they mm -hmm. can go to itch.io. Yep, uh, it's we-evolve.itch.io. Excellent. We'll put a sh link in the show notes. Um, but there's no way of getting a physical copy now. Uh, not at the moment. No, I think I'll. Um, I I only. I had sort of 10 extra printed, but not mm -hmm. much more. Um, so I, I'm, I don't know, I, I, I might put something on, on itch so you can uh, but contact me and pay a bit extra via itch, give me your details and I'll send you one. Um, so I might do that. Brilliant. So um, I just want to talk a little bit about, so is that your first kink Kickstarter then? It is, yeah. And what have you learned about Kickstarter from doing this scene quest? Um, it's a lot easier than I expected. That was something that I well, That's interesting because I had a lot of people say, oh, it's a lot more complex than you expect. <laughs> I, I really got into the, like, into the focus of, right, I've got to write an update for this. Mm -hmm. I, I have a blog and it hasn't been updated in years because I, like, I might have a list of things I want to write, but I never get around to it. This, no, that, brilliant. I got an update for Friday. I'll write it Thursday night. It's ready to go out never been that focused usually so so it was really good for that really really good for uh yeah seeing the process and getting stuff done that was that was really really nice i think the financial side i probably just about broke even 
Um, so my assumption was I would get loads and loads of people from the UK backing it because I know lots of people in the UK and they know lots of them and all the rest. And they wouldn't be that many uh, international, international backers. Sales? Yeah, huh. and that, that kind of got me. So I was, I, I should have added a bit more for postage. Yeah. Uh, to cover, to cover oh, I see a lot of people nowadays are saying we're going to calculate postage later. Yeah. And I guess that might be when we've seen how many blooming Americans buy it. Or yeah, yeah. Portuguese or whatever. <laughs> yeah, because I think that would have made a big difference because I, I was assuming it would be you know, 90% British backers and it would be about two quid per mm. to, to post. And actually, it was more like 90% US backers and probably like four or five, I think it was. Yeah, so yeah, so that kind of ate into my profits quite a bit. Um, but you did make a, if you like, a property based on the great American novel and uh, a, a fabulous American TV series and a yeah. slightly trashy air <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I should, have, uh, I should have thought that through really. But, um, <laughs> but you know, lesson learned. So yeah, and I just about broke even. So I think if I made a loss, it was only about 10 quid, nothing serious. Right, so yeah. yeah. Um, but you yeah. washed your face, as we yes. said. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it's not a big money thing. We've learned that as well. No, no. Um, yeah. So I think my initial goal was three hundred and fifty, mm-hmm. um, and I yeah got six seventy. So, and I suppose there were extra printing things like uh, I t- kind of knew that the map would be would push it up a bit, and the character sheets would would push up the cost a bit, but it seemed to sort of work out. I, and yeah, I, I think overall I'm pleased with the way it went because I, you know, I haven't come out with a significant loss or anything. And I kind of enjoyed it as a process and I got a game out of it, um, which was kind of the, was the whole intention. So, so when you do a GN, what, are the, what, what, what changes would you do to your planning for Kickstarter? Uh, Thing. A GN, I want to do more artwork inside, so I'm going to have to do. Uh, there's going to be a lot of maths. So there's going to be a lot of figuring out of, uh, yeah, getting that kind of thing priced up front. That's a really interesting thing because uh, you know, as as you know, um, when we talked before, we we're saying we've got this Western game we want to do, and mm. I want I want to commission really nice artwork. Um, and you know, I'm trained as an artist myself, but I'm not going to draw my own art because. Mm. I'm, Crap. But you know, fundamentally, the one thing I learned, particularly from people in college, mate, were people doing loads of free work and me going, mm. you've got to value your work. I mean, people, yeah. you know, you can't eat reputation. Um, no. so, but then I find it really difficult to negotiate, or not difficult. I, I find now going into this that I have no idea what is a reasonable rate to charge. I, I know all the technicalities of whether, you know, I'm commissioning outright or whether I'm getting a perpetual license and all that sort of stuff I can speak that language but how much cash do artists want on the table is an unknown quantity to me now um so this is so actually for the Gaslight Club I I didn't uh, all of the art was from Dreamstime so uh so it was all custom but I paid extra for the license so that I could make modifications and and whatnot uh for, uh, so I'm just going to switch my background again. I'll show okay, you. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Um, it's okay. I'm not stealing anything in your. Making a few notes off your whiteboard there. But... <laughs> so let's see. So um, I've now done art, artwork for three three different products. 
Um, the first being Aegean, second being... And that's got some lovely art in it, by the way, hasn't oh, it? That was Linda Lithin. You were sharing on Twitter some of the art for... Um, uh, oh, and this, this must yeah. be wild. This is wild in the background, yeah. We will so, talk about wild in a moment. Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, some really gorgeous art for Aegean, I thought, that was incredibly redolent of the period. Yeah, uh, so my first artist for the quick start was Linda Lithin, and uh, she, she uh, absolutely great cover, absolutely brilliant. It's been a nightmare getting it printed, though. It's just a bit dark, and it tends to come out very, very, very different. Uh, mm -hmm. For Aegean Adventures, I uh, contacted El Eleanor, Eleanor Patera, uh, I probably pronounced that very badly, uh, and she did uh, the cover, which I haven't got a copy handy, which is unusual. Um, so, so she did the cover for that, and she did all of the uh, the colour inlay. So each adventure in that had uh, a different kind of motif, with uh, which looked like uh, uh, like an engraving on a stone yeah. wall. The other artwork for that, again, I found. I can't remember the name of the book, but it was a book, a book of uh, classical Greek uh, costume. And it was printed in 1819, I think. So it was all, all out of copyright. And I used a lot of the artwork from that because it was these wonderful line drawings. So uh, that was a lucky find. But commissioning artwork, I think the best bit of advice I got was, uh, you know, ask the artist questions. They've done this before. Even if you haven't, they know they know what they you know they know what they're going to charge. They know what the, their process is. If you're floundering, just ask them what you know what to do, and they will quite happily tell you. And quite then you get to work to their process, which is what best for them anyway. So, yeah. yeah. So, moving on, you've got the artwork behind you from uh, something that Dave Chapman's talked to us about before, mm -hmm. just mentioned and read his blog, um, and Dave. Dave Chapman, who, um, let's just remind everybody who he is. He wrote the Doctor Who um, role-playing game from Cubicle 7. He definitely had a hand in the early stages of Star Trek Adventures as well. Um, but this is, this is his pet project. Well, this is his other pet project, apart from trying to convince J.K. Rowling to do Harry Potter role-playing <laughs> game. <laughs> um, yeah, uh... If I could get yeah. the license for Harry Potter, that would be amazing. But, yeah, so, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. so Wild, which is his own idea, it's about dreams. It's about the, the mechanic is uh, tarot cards. Yeah. Um, and it struck me that uh, Dave was, I don't know, sort of almost has a sort of not creative block, but almost a, a block, a confidence block about whether this game was any good. And whether he could publish it, I think about a year ago, and you seem to convince him that it's a goer. Yep. So he's been working on this for a fair few years, and I think it, it often takes a backseat because you know he has other writing work to do, yeah. and it, yeah, and we've all it's got something. He, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he chips away at it and gets so far, and then it it drifts a bit. So uh, we had a chat in a Dragon Meet last year. Right. And I said, you know, I, I'm looking for, I, I kind of want to expand what I'm doing. And I want to, I want to make, make games. I enjoy making games. Uh, it's a lot of fun. You get to play lots of games, which is great. And I, but I can't make all of them. And I know what my ideas are. And it's interesting. It's more interesting to kind of 
get other people's ideas and see what they're like and kind of help promote them. So we had a chat about it and he started putting together, uh, so this isn't, this isn't his full idea for Wild. This is a, uh, it's, a it's more like a starter pack really. I mean, it, it right, will be, yeah. it, it's going to be a hundred page book. Uh, it's oh, going to be quite a meaty size. It's still, okay. yeah, still good size. Uh, it's, it will be square and we're going to fit, so text content uh, on the left and tarot card on the right with, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, with description. So you've, you've got, got it handy and we, and I don't have to produce a full deck of tarot cards because that's going to be, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So any, any deck of tarot cards will do. Yes. Say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they are, it is uh, slightly custom in that there is a mapping from uh, the character's attributes to different uh, tarot suits. Um, and I can't remember off the top of my head. It's something like, no, I can't, I can't remember it. I won't confuse things by misremembering stuff. So it's a very much a, it's a kind of inception meets the matrix meets Sandman, Neil Gaiman, Sandman, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, and, the core mechanic is draw tarot cards. You draw a number of tarot cards and you count successes based on uh, value being lower than your relevant stat and skill or suit matching or I can't remember what the other one is. Um, so yeah, so it, it, and then you can, there's a kind of a push mechanic as well in that you can redraw cards and then, uh, quite remember what's and, and then major arcana have an effect on what you're doing as well and and in fact all of the tarot cards the actual as well as the numeric value the description can have an effect on on the outcome or should even at least uh kind of give you ideas for the outcome um, so will it help if you've been a professional tarot card reader in the past i mean that probably helps for anything right yeah yeah you does. <laughs> it does help my career all the time <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, if, if you know the cards well, then yeah, it would definitely make it easier for you. I don't, so uh, this will be fun. We're actually, we're playtesting it on Friday. So he's, uh, uh, I read read through the mechanics last week, and actually we got the artwork last week, so that was, uh, was quite an exciting, uh, yeah, couple of days for that. So playtesting notwithstanding, what's mm -hmm. your production schedule for this? Are we going to see a Kickstarter for it? Or is it... Um... The plan was a Kickstarter, yeah. Uh, again, it's all of my plans are kind of up in the air at the moment because it's it's a bit hard. With, I, yes. Yeah, yeah. With the global situation and everything, it's uh, it's a bit crazy. The intention is to kickstart. Um, I was thinking it would be Aegean and then Wild. Uh, I was also hoping to have something promotional material at least for UKG, but obviously that's again. Yeah. Um, yeah, not happening. So probably a Kickstarter towards the end of this year. Uh, and if, now Dragon Meat Boy might, might just be the first time we all get to say hi again. Yeah, it might be, yeah. Or not even. Mm. <laughs> touch, touch wood, yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, the intention is a Kickstarter, but we've already got cover art, which you can see, but no one else can see at the moment. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, let's say, like I say that was finished last week. So we know, we know what it's going to look like. Um, we're playtesting the rules, but I think they're reasonably solid because we have done playtests in the past. But I'm going to do a, actually, I'm going to run it this time rather than Dave running it. Uh, right, just, yeah, yeah, so a really good test on whether actually yeah. somebody else who hasn't got it all in their head can do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whether it makes sense from the page, yeah. So 
yeah, so that'll be interesting. We're going to do like a two, three, maybe four sessions or mini campaign for that. Um, and then hopefully the writing should be finished by the summer. And yeah, then we'll see about, yeah, I mean, it's going to have to be, a, fundamentally, it's going to have to be a Kickstarter because that's just the easiest way, I think, to to get the funds for print and, and all the rest. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look to look for that in the future. Uh, Excellent. And uh, obviously, at our heart, we're a Year Zero system podcast. You got any more Year Zero plans? Uh, yeah. So I have. Um, I've been uh, just just finished uh, last last Wednesday actually. So one of my RPG groups, uh, we were playing Alien, mm-hmm. and so I've just had a ten session Alien campaign. And I've got a system gazetteer that I've written for the Grendel system. So it's got a, uh, yeah, sort of planet guide, political situation guide, uh, and sort of key characters. So uh, I, I want to run, so what I want to release, uh, this will be a freebie. This won't be something that I'm, obviously it being alien, it, yeah, it, there's no way. Yeah, there's licensing in there. Yeah, yeah. So there will be a freebie of that coming out uh, with a, uh, there'll be an adventure of some sort. I'm, probably going to like get it together from the notes that I've made for um, for running the actual the, the campaign um, but yeah so that that will be probably within the next month or so I think Ooh, I, that's yeah. exciting we'll look forward to that yeah it should be good um, other year zero stuff um, I'm not sure at the moment I I was kind of having a bit of a brainstorm session because having done the Gaslight Club I kind of that was like I say that was quite a nice nice to do and I, I like this size of, of RPG, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I love Coriolis for what it is, but that's, that's a big book to read yeah. and a lot of setting that you kind of sometimes feel that you don't want to like tread on any toes. Like, like, am I allowed to change this in this, yeah, in this I think a lot of setting. people have that sort of paralysis around, when's this camp? I need to know what's happening here. Can yeah. the whole campaign out so that. <laughs> yeah. When I kind of, I kind of miss RPGs being about you and your mates coming up with wacky ideas mm. and just, just playing, which is kind of why I like the Gaslight Club. It's 40 pages and there is a game in it. And, there's, and that's it. Yeah. And there's this stuff to, that hopefully feeds the idea, like feeds the imagination of the GM to get them like writing things. So they're, you know, and, and coming up with scenario ideas and whatnot and random encounters. And hopefully there's enough of that in here. Um, but I, I really like, that I, I'm really favouring the smaller RPG over the the weighty tone. Um, so yeah, I, I've been sort of racking my, my my brain for ideas for something new on that kind of scale. But um, at the moment, it's it's blank. So it will be the Alien Gazetteer system Gazetteer first. And then yeah, we'll look forward to that. Tell us about it. We'll promote it as well. You'll give away cool. so many free free copies of that. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so, uh, is there anything else we need to say before we bring this interview to a close? Uh, I think we covered a lot of stuff. Yeah. I, actually, I'd like to thank you for COVIDCon. That was a, I had a blast. That was great. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, that's yeah. okay. I wasn't fishing for compliments. <laughs> <laughs> no, good, good session of Basin. That was, yeah, I really enjoyed that. that was good. Yeah, yeah, no. So, I'm going to, uh, and, and thanks for your feedback on that. Mm. I'm going to do some tweaks to that based on your comments. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's Stu Goff. Look out for uh, the Aegean Kickstarter, the Wild Kickstarter, and go to itch.io to get your copy of a great take on the Year Zero engine, which is the Gaslight Club. 
Yeah, it was such a pity to miss the interview, and Sue's such a great guy, um, and I'm really interested to talk to him at some point in the future about Aegean and um, learn, yeah, learn I thought more. you would be learn more about that. That sounds really, really intriguing. But I mean, Gaslight Club sounds like a lovely idea, uh, yeah, as well. You know, the whole sort of Great Gatsby robot Westworld idea. Um, yeah, it's really nice, and I I also like there's, there's there's a few games now that are coming out that are are games that talk about revealing more about your your life and your personality and your character as you uh, you know you learn you, play. you learn through playing. Um, yeah, and I I'm, I haven't really played a game yet that's been designed designed to do that. You know, we've had games where you've got characters you then learn stuff about, and then you've got secrets that that come out through the game. But games that are designed to play that way, I've, I haven't tried that, and this sounds really uh, a really interesting take on on that kind of relatively new sort of thinking, really. Mm. Now I bought the PDF. Um, I kind of wish I'd got the. Um the zine version mm-hmm. the paper version um but you know it it looks lovely it, even on the pdf <laughs> because everything's designed in the sort of 1920s the artwork is very good isn't it um, yeah style and uh well he talked in in the interview he talked a little bit about how he you know he hasn't spent much on the artwork for that one but um um got uh, various uh, appropriate pieces of art from various sources but he pulled it together in a really nice way um i do know that our patron phil has got the paper version mm. um and i wonder whether he's, if he's that enthusiastic in fact i think he was a top tier patron for, okay for, or cool. top tier kickstarter for them his name is in the front of the ah. pdf that i've got so um we might be able to persuade him maybe to run a game for us maybe we could twist his arm playing it. yeah why yeah. not why not twist his arm. yeah yeah, no, I'd love to. I'd be really interested to give it a try and see how it actually plays out. Yeah, definitely. Let's do that. Moving on, Coriolis again and the Free League. And you talking again. And more of me talking. <laughs> Isn't it great? <laughs> if um, if our listeners want to give feedback about how, how, how irritating it is when Matthew gets to hog the show, feel free. But only you feel irritated by it. <laughs> no, it's fine. Well, actually, it means that you do most of the work, which is which is fine, <laughs> which makes a change. After this session, I just want to sit back and let you shower me with praise. I'm not going to say a word. <laughs> but before then, let's listen to the recording. Yeah. In the last episode, I talked about the Consortium, one of the few factions that we had not yet shined the spotlight on. Because, as Dave memorably admitted on the Patreon Discord, he's not very interested in them. I agreed in the last episode that the Consortium was indeed quite boring. But the Free League has a different problem. The Free League's problem is that they are the perfect player faction. Too perfect. What every crew wants is freedom. Freedom to go where they want. Freedom to do what they want. Freedom to make profit on jobs, legal and illegal. Freedom to leave a system when a deal goes wrong and they are wanted for murder. Freedom to find a new planet full of rubes they can double-cross. And freedom to move on again when it turns out that the local crime lord wants them dead. 
Freedom, essentially, to live like space RPGers have lived since the first Traveller player rolled 2d6 and wrote their stats in hexadecimal. And if you are going to be a happy crew of malcontents, trading their way from system to system, the Free League is the perfect support network. At least from a gamer's perspective, if not the characters. They are strong when the players really need help, and weak when the GM wants to take the crutch away. They are connected right across the horizon if the players need a job or a contact, and yet not so consistent that the GM can't surprise the players once in a while. If I were a GM taking a virgin group of players on, I would probably recommend that they choose a free league patron to get them started. And the beauty of the free league is I could likely offer them a nemesis from the same faction to show that everything ain't black and white. Indeed, if a GM said to me, I've never run a space game at all, what are my players likely to want? I would probably reply that they should start with a short free league based campaign. They are a perfect set of training wheels for crews and GMs. So what's the problem? How come it's taken so long to write about them? The problem is that there is no challenge for the GM. An experienced GM will be excited if their players choose to be religious zealots or secret assassins. Each would be a new challenge. But if they want to be free leaguers, again, where can a GM find the novelty? One of the great things about the Third Horizon is that everything contains its own contradiction. So let's go to the source material and see if we can find the hidden side of the Free League. The first thing to remember is that the Free League are a Zenithian, not a first-come faction. They are listed alongside the Syndicate as one of the smallest Zenithian factions on page 188, and yet, and yet, on page 194, it says, counting official members, the Free League is the Horizon's largest faction. This is an interesting contradiction. It speaks, I think, of a membership not wholly affiliated to the cause of the faction. People join like they join the AA or AAA or whatever your local roadside recovery insurance service is where you live. Thus, being a member of this large organisation can help get your ship repaired on a distant backwater planet. But on Coriolis, the seat of power, there are too few powerful members to do much politically. And get this, tucked away in the timeline on page 249. There's this little gem. In Coriolis Cycle 14, and I quote, the Free League faction is founded as a partner to the consortium. Partners or lapdogs? Free or simply another arm of the consortium, extending their reach into the smaller markets 
that the companies of the consortium are not yet interested in. On the other hand, are they a union? The stevedores of Coriolis and the Net exert some power through the Free League. Is the Free League getting ready to be the workers' champion and turn against the consortium as the growth of that faction stutters and begins to fail? Will the Free League become a monster that the consortium can no longer control? Will they one day be accused of being a terrorist organisation? The Syndicate, too, exert power through the Free League. Though the highest-placed factionary, Jezebel Niales, is on to them and working to curb their influence. Finally, there is one little hook I really like, and it's the mention of the Free League's news division on page 21. Last time, I talked about how the bulletin, controlled by the consortium, was not the organisation that players wanting to be hard-hitting reporters should join. The Free League might offer an outlet for independent journalists eager to seek out the truth rather than regurgitate propaganda. Yeah, another really good piece, Matt. Um, that's, yeah, it's really good. I, I I kind of sort of feel that the, the the Free League might be a little bit like Traveller Aid Society as well. You, you call it the kind of the, yeah. the, the AA, um, Traveller's Aid. I'd almost reference a Traveller's Aid Society, yeah. but I thought that... I've only got one audience member that's even going to know who they are. <laughs> frankly, we, okay. we was... give Andy too much... I was, fan service already. I was thinking that was possibly a bit too on the nose, a bit too obvious, but uh, yeah, no. I know. I think one of the things I, I you know, it, it, it's interesting that you talk about this being a, a faction that's. I mean, it, I guess it's going to be the games you run off it could be really very easily Firefly kind of style or Old Traveller style, um, mm. and, and you say that it might be a, a good one for a for a relatively new, inexperienced, or you know, GM who wants to find their feet. It's a really easy one to get into. But for the first time, I think, in my gaming career, since 19-whatever-it-was, 79-80, having read that, I I would quite like to play a journalist. I mean, <laughs> and I've never had the urge to play a journalist before. But actually, I think this is this is a really good faction, um, and you make a really good case for for that being, uh, you know, an ideal kind of... Uh, group concept for a free league for a free league group the one thing i would say just having just thinking off the top of my head as a gm i think running a really good journalist campaign that feels like a journalist campaign um would be really challenging because the 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 way the challenge is why i suggested it yeah yes i agree and in fact it is. I mean, just thinking about it when I was writing this down, I've, I don't know where I'd start. So, um, <laughs> um, what what do you think the first challenges would be? Well, I think the the well, actually, I think it would be relatively easy if you wanted, you know, if you're a journalist, you could you could present a number of options in the same way that uh, you might for a trading game. You present a number mm. of possible trades or jobs that the characters can go for, and they then go to the market and role play talking to the vendors and working out which ones they want to take. You could have a number of um, news seeds or possible news stories that are going on that the player could then choose which one they wanted to go for. I think the real challenge comes in making it 
a uh, investigation um, where you've got lots of clues that hang together really well. Keep the big story a bit secret until you get enough clues together and then there's a bit of a, oh, okay, that's the story. That's really interesting mm. step. So making that kind of story is actually quite difficult. Um, mm. uh, or, or difficult. It just takes a lot more thought and time and effort. And I know you're, you're a low prep kind of guy. I think to make that kind of campaign hang together yeah. really well, you'd need to be higher prep than, than is your, I guess, your default preference. I, okay, let me offer a challenge there and say maybe a journalism campaign, you could put all the pieces in place, some interesting stories here, there and everywhere, as you say, and then people kind of go at them in a whatever order they want. But the story or the conspiracy or whatever happens, first of all, in the player's mind. And when they start thinking about something that as a GM you think is a good idea, you start then subtly moving the pieces around. Absolutely. To make it fit the story that the players are are going for. So you know, off, off the top of my head, you know, what, what really um, gets me about the Free League is... They, you know, the whole name suggests sense of independence and and you know being rebels. But they're Zenithians; they're almost part of the consortium, really. Even if they've got their own news agency, which, by the way, needs a better name than the News Division of the Free League. <laughs> um, uh, well, uh, if you had this news agency there, then obviously there are political players around that. And when you know, I think there could be great stuff about you're building this story and then it gets spiked. Yeah. Um, yeah. You see, I'm struggling actually with Mercy of the Icons with that um, journalist NPC character. Yeah. Who's there partly, obviously, to feed you guys information as players. But I'm thinking, and and she's uh, this may not be apparent to you guys as players. So um, ignore what I'm about to tell you. But she mm -hmm. is a disgraced journalist. Is that that's her thing? She yeah. She got something wrong. She's now on her uppers. But then suddenly in the last scene that you watched, uh, you saw her making uh, uh, a news broadcast or maybe it's something that's coming out, but she'll be making a news broadcast. And you think, well, oh, suddenly she's not, you know, she's uh, she's she's on the telly. She's no longer disgraced. Yeah. Um, and the bulletin to me seemed too monolithic a news organisation to be fun for players to be journalists in. Mm. And it feels to me that the... Um, the free league news organization could be a bit like a pirate radio station, but of course, actually the free league are quite conformist. So what happens when your story gets spiked? I think that could be a whole adventure in itself. Yes. Yeah. Well, that could be kind of the, the big, the big turning point in the campaign that you get to this point, you're really excited about blowing the story. And then as you say, someone spikes it and you get warned off. Yeah, so I'm thinking about what are the um, what 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 are the journalism media that we might draw on for inspiration? Drop the dead donkey. Drop the dead donkey. Actually, <laughs> that could be no. That seriously, actually, although that was a comedy, um, that might have inspiration for yeah. some of the stories that you could do. Definitely. I'm thinking again of uh, State of Play. That was a journalism story. Yeah, I don't. And there was a film that came out recently that I haven't yet managed to see. Uh, about the journalist that that had uh, something to do with the Iraq War, something yeah, from okay. there. Um, so there's things like, yeah, I, I, maybe we should give it a go at some point. Yeah, actually. you could. I mean, you could even have them as sort of freelance, but affiliated to to the Free League News Division, 
and that's where they yeah. that's where they they're not paid by them but that's where they they push their stories through yeah yeah that's mm. interesting i think that there might be some work on that yeah you? definitely right we've talked for long well i've talked for long enough <laughs> yeah. um, yes so the next hour will just be me talking uh so tell me dave what are we going to do next episode what are we what are we going to do we may get an interview with um uh with helmgast about troubleshooters we'll see if no we can there. yeah i've still got one faction to do uh the Zenithians, uh, not the Zenithians, uh the Zelosians. we've you've done the the witch smellers yeah yeah but we've not actually done the Zelosians as a faction okay so maybe you should do that are you going to do that um, is that your homework for next time then uh, my homework for next time. Cool. What homework am I going to give you? What's my what homework? Are you going to volunteer for? I don't know, actually, off the top of my head. Well, let me tell you of a thing <laughs> that uh, you could do is there's now quite a lot of material on the, the Free League workshop that's been created for a number of the games. I wonder whether we should do a little bit of a survey of that, pick a few down, read a few, see what you think about them. Yeah, why not? That sounds like a... That sounds like a useful. We bit can of time. spend patron money on those, so I'm yeah. not asking you to. No, uh, and I and and I think it would only be fair for all those people that have done a pay what you want that we should um, actually pay their suggested price rather than what most people do, which is pay them nothing. Yeah, 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 um, agreed. So yeah, let's buy a few of those, and um, I'll have and, I'll uh, have a read, and then can, we can feedback on them. Yeah, we can talk about them. Yeah, sounds good. Top plan. Cool. Though I think that's probably it for today, though, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going to let you do all the signing off. We haven't had enough time talking. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Well, um, thanks for listening, everybody. As always, uh, it's goodbye from Matthew. And it's goodbye from me. And may the icons bless your adventures. Stay safe, everyone. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast. Presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music, stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.